For those who are joining us for the very first time, we welcome you, and we are doing a series from the Gospel of John, and today we'll be looking at John chapter 6. So uh, if you want to follow the sermon carefully, uh, all you need to do is just uh, uh, leave your Bibles open to that particular chapter, chapter 6 from the Gospel of John. Now, there is a difference between a fan and a follower. Did you know that? And the difference between who is a fan and who is a follower has even become more distinguishable with the advent of social media, where, you know, anyone can gain a lot of following so fast. And so what is the difference between a fan and a follower? Well, here is what an entertainment company called Blue Rhymes says in its website. Firstly, followers have terrible attention spans. Fans, on the other hand, know what you like for breakfast. And so they say that when people like, for instance, an artist's song, but they do not know the title of the artist's latest album, the release date of the album, and the lyrics of the song, well, they are just followers. Why? Because fans, fans, they know every detail of the artist that they adore. They know what their artist eats for breakfast even. Secondly, followers won't help unless beneficial to them. Fans, on the other hand, they will help even if they are not asked. And so sometimes we hear of artists who tells his followers, check out my music video, please check out my music video, check out my latest music video. And an artist has to do that because his followers are just followers. Now, if they were fans, they will be the ones promoting your music video without being asked. Also, fans, they will be up in arms to attack haters of their idol without being asked. That is why there's a K-pop band. I won't mention names. Their fan club is called The Army, right? And The Army, they're huge, and they're ready to defend their idol. Last. Followers are low-key stalkers, but fans are front-row supporters. So followers will watch a lot of your content, but never truly show their support for you. They have heard of you, they've seen you, they're aware of you, but they're not converted. Fans, on the other hand, they will never hide their affection for you and for your music. So, a fan is not the same as a follower. Now, in today's passage in John chapter 6, uh, we read of a crowd that's been trailing around with Jesus. Wherever Jesus goes, they string along with him. Are they followers or are they fans? Well, it will not be difficult to spot who the fans are and who are the followers because the distinction between them becomes even clearer when Jesus starts to speak words that are hard to swallow, words that are difficult to accept. And so when we read John chapter 6, see if you can point out who is the fan and who is the follower. So John chapter 6 begins by telling us that it was the time of the Passover. The gospel writer tells us, which means that for any Jewish family, it's the time of the year when every household prepares to celebrate the feast, the feast 
to commemorate God's rescue of their forefathers from slavery in Egypt. And so for the celebration, they would slaughter a lamb to eat it. And then they'd retell the rescue story of the, uh, to the family. So the son, for instance, will ask, Dad, what is the meaning of, uh, of all these? What is the meaning of this service? To which the father will explain, and to the family. And then he'll say, son, this is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. Because the Lord, he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared the homes of our people. And you can read that in Exodus chapter 12. And then the family would recall the drama of the safe crossing of the Red Sea. They would recall the Lord's provision of the manna. They would recall the Lord's provision of the meat uh, in order to test them to see if they would obey and trust the Lord all throughout their journey. And so, my friends, it is in this context of the Passover that here Jesus tested them. We see that in chapter 6. It is with this background that Jesus did miraculous acts and gave them hard-to-swallow teachings. And all these for the purpose of calling them to believe in Him as God's Son. Calling them to believe in Him as the one who is sent from above. As the new rescuer who would now rescue them from their sins. And so how will the crowd respond? Will the follower become fan or will the follower unfollow? And what do their actions have to teach us all today? Now look at your Bibles. First slide comes up. John chapter 6 verses 4 to 6. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting off his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now we know in the Exodus story that the Lord at many times tested his people through miraculous provision. And so, for example, in Exodus chapter 16, we read of how the Lord provided them bread from heaven how the Lord provided them meat from heaven. Bread in the form of white flakes, uh, which they call manna. By the way, I was told that the proper pronunciation is manna because the translation is, what is it? So it's like, what you call it? So it's manna, right? So God provided them bread, which is called manna, and he also provided them meat from heaven in the form of quails that landed down for them to catch and eat. And the purpose of those miracles in response to the people's grumbling was firstly to provide for their physical needs. But more importantly, it was to teach them that the one who provided them food, the one who provided all these, is the Lord their God. And so Exodus chapter 16 verse 12 tells us, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, God telling Moses, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. 
And so the purpose of the miraculous provision was for them to discern that, hey, you know, this, this bizarre sight, food raining down from heaven in the morning, and then meat raining down in the evening, this can be none other than the work of the Lord our God. And then when the Lord gave the people instructions pertaining to food, instructions like when to collect them, how much to collect, and when not to collect, these instructions were given to them to test them in order to see whether the people will fully trust and obey God's word. Now, Jesus' test here in John chapter 6, as the Son of God, has a similar purpose. And so we read that there was a large crowd that is impossible to feed. So question, how do you feed a crowd that is at least 5,000 in number? Now, do you remember 2020? 2020, many of us have tried to be bakers in 2020, right? Anybody try to be bakers? I did. I tried to be a baker. And uh, boy, I must tell you, baking is a lot of hard, tedious work. It's work that even requires a lot of precision. And so if I wanted freshly baked bread for breakfast, I calculated and I found out that I had to wake up at 3 a.m. to knead the dough because the dough needed some time for it to rise. And the batch that I made, uh, it only fed four mouths for two rounds. So I figured I'm better off buying bread from the supermarket. Feeding at least 5,000 mouths in a snap is an impossible task. Philip and Andrew, they said it themselves. They said 200 days wages, if one has it, would not be enough to feed such a crowd. And five barley loaves of bread and two fish, but that's only for a few mouths. So the impossible task of feeding an enormous crowd is highlighted here. And it is for the purpose to show that just as God fed his people miraculously when they exited uh, uh, Egypt, raining bread and instructing them how to get them, Jesus is going to do the same because he is the Son of God. And so we read that Jesus gives them instructions. Jesus tells them, have the people sit down. So the people sat and the Lord distributed bread and fish as much as the people wanted. And then comes the second instruction, gather the leftovers. And so leftovers were gathered, and we read that there were 12 basketfuls. When the people witnessed the sign, they should have been able to draw the parallels, right? The parallels, which is the Lord God provided bread and meat to their forefathers, Similarly, this man, Jesus, now provided bread and meat too. It's the same, carbs and protein, carbs and protein. This man then must be God. So the people must have seen parallels, but sadly their conclusion was not quite correct. They say that he is the prophet spoken by Moses. That's what they said. They got it right, but not quite. They got it wrong too because they now wanted to forcefully make Jesus to be their king. And we read that Jesus was not impressed by it. Why? Because the Lord, we read before, who knew the hearts of men, 
the Lord knew that they just wanted a king who will give them lifetime pension, who will give them free-flowing bread, no more need to knead dough. And so the crowd had eaten their fill. They saw the sign. They saw what Jesus did, but they remained as followers. They're merely followers because followers wanted Jesus only for benefits. Remember the difference between fans and followers? Followers wanted only the benefits. Now look at verse 26 where Jesus addressed the followers or also known as low-key stalkers. They follow Jesus wherever he goes. Jesus tells them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You see, signs were meant to point them to faith in Jesus. But the people dismissed the sign and sought their material needs. They sought their their tummy needs. They sought physical food. They worked for physical bread. But despite the disappointing response of the crowd, the good Lord offers a very gracious invitation. The good Lord tells them, do not work for the food that perishes, but for food, for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And Jesus answered them, verse 29, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so the sign of Jesus as feeding the crowd, of more than 5,000, was to point them to a different bread. The bread that we, or rather they, must seek. And seeking this bread is to believe in Jesus. To believe that Jesus was sent by God. But the people we read, they refused to believe in Jesus. They asked for more impressive signs. You know, the, kinds that, the kind that's similar to, if not grander than manna coming down from heaven. So the bread from heaven that Moses gave their forefathers, they wanted that kind of miracle. Why? Because to them, the 12 basketfuls were very mainstream. It's not very impressive. Furthermore, the people asked for an indefinite supply of bread. They told Jesus, give us this bread always for life. And what was Jesus' reply? He tells them, Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is the better bread. Because by having this better bread, better than the manna that the forefathers ate, they are going to have eternal life. They will be raised to life everlasting in the end. And so here is hard truth number one. Hard truth number one, Jesus is the bread of life from the Father. Why it's called hard truth? Well, it's hard truth because verse 41 tells us that the Jews heard it 
Jesus said that he's the bread of life. And they began to grumble. They muttered. And we read a while ago, they muttered, this is not Jesus, you know, the son of Joseph, son of Mary, whose father and mother we know. How does he now say that I have come down from heaven? They mocked Jesus' claim. They bickered that Jesus claims to be the bread of life. They grumbled because their wisdom cannot fathom that the son of Joseph and Mary, whom they knew, well, their son now claims to be the one from heaven. And so they, they, they grumble. And grumbling, friends, conjures memories of their forefathers grumbling against God. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? That's what they grumbled. We would rather die in Egypt, well fed with meat and bread. See, my friends, grumbling is not giving negative feedback of their situation. Grumbling, rather, is outright rejection of the Lord and His ways. Grumbling is refusal to put one's trust in the Lord. And so when the people grumbled here, they are rejecting Jesus. They are opposing Jesus' claim that He is the living bread. They refuse to trust his words. They refuse to believe that the sign points to Jesus, not only the bread giver, but the bread himself, living bread. Hard truth number two. Jesus says, one cannot follow Jesus on his own terms and by his own will. Now, though Jesus does issue an invitation that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life, though Jesus urges that the people work for food that endures to eternal life, Jesus makes it clear. He makes it clear that, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Because for one to come to Jesus requires the Father's work of drawing him, drawing her to Jesus. Without this divine drawing, one can never come to Jesus. Now, the Lord pointed uh, this, this very hard truth, that no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him to Jesus. The Lord pointed out this hard truth to the Jews because, you know why? Because the Jews professed faithfulness to God the Father. They, they showed they wanted to show that they are faithful to God the Father. But Jesus drops a bomb and tells them, well, the thing is, if you are faithful and obedient to God, then you will accept me. You will uh, uh, receive me because the Father would have drawn you to me. And so clearly, the grumblers are far from being faithful to God. They do not know the Father. In fact, later on in chapter 8, Jesus will tell them that God is not their Father. That uh, otherwise they would have loved the Son, Jesus. On the contrary, Jesus is going to tell them that their Father is the devil. He is your Father, Jesus tells them. Because they rejected Jesus and they sought to kill Jesus. Hence, Jesus tells them, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me 
draws him. Now, friends, this hard truth, this humbling truth, tells us that one cannot follow Jesus on his own terms and by his own will. And so one does not hear Jesus' invitation and say, nice, let me think about it. Or, sounds good, but I don't have need for Jesus, of Jesus now, maybe some other time. Or, thanks, I'll let you know. Don't call me, I'll call you. It's a little bit, you know, those replies that we give to telemarketeers. But the truth is, the hard truth is, that one cannot call on Jesus unless Jesus calls him, unless the Father draws him. And so it is never on our own terms. It's on the Father's terms. It's never by our own will, but by the will of God. And Jesus reiterates this in verse 37, where he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And so it is both a hard truth, humbling truth. At the same time, it is a consoling truth that we who believe in Jesus because of the Father's drawing will never be cast out. Hard truth number three. Jesus' flesh and blood, we learn, is true food and drink. So in verse 51 and following, Jesus restates that he is the living bread. And by that, he meant that his flesh and blood. And the Jews cannot accept this hard truth. They say, well, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, N.T. Wright, the commentator, has an explanation that helps us understand this uh, flesh and blood talk. And he explains and he says, you know, there's a story in 2 Samuel uh, that records of David. I, don't, I do not know if you're familiar with this story. David was uh, in the cave of Adullam, and he was thirsty. And the king dreamt of Bethlehem water. Now, you and I may, you know, when we're thirsty, we, we, we may think of bubble tea or soda. But for David, he thought of Bethlehem water. And then he longed for the water from the well in Bethlehem. And David's mighty man overheard that the king longed for Bethlehem water. And you know what they did? It led them to stage a secret, dangerous mission. I call it Operation Quench. To break through the Philistine camp in order to get water from Bethlehem. They succeeded, and they finally were able to bring back water from Bethlehem for David. But then that story tells us that David refused to drink that water. He poured it out for the Lord instead. And then David said, slide, Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? That's what David said. Now, David is not cannibalistic. David was speaking figuratively. To drink the blood of his men meant to profit, to benefit from the death of his men because his men risked their lives in order to deliver 
drinking water to David. And so when the Lord Jesus spoke of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, Jesus is speaking figuratively. Jesus is not promoting cannibalism, nor is he teaching the doctrine of transubstantiation, which teaches that in the communion, somehow the wafer becomes literally the flesh of Jesus. No. Jesus is instead speaking figuratively of his death. His death, which brings gain, benefit to those who believe in him. The gain of eternal life. And so to eat of Jesus' flesh and drink his blood is to believe in Jesus. Because when we believe in Jesus, we benefit from Jesus' loss of life. We gain eternal life from his death. We gain forgiveness from his sacrificial death. But many of his disciples, they could not stomach Jesus' teachings. They turned back, and we read that they no longer walked with Jesus. Verse 66. The hard teachings of Jesus now starts to separate fan from followers. So any fans left? Any fans left? Look at verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go as well? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, uh, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so many who heard Jesus' hard-to-swallow teachings, they unfollowed the Lord. They unchecked. They stopped following the Lord. They canceled Jesus. But those whom the Father draws near to Jesus, they'll remain with Jesus. They'll stick around. Even in the midst of hard and difficult teachings. And so let me ask you this question. Are you a fan of Jesus or are you just a follower? By the way, one more difference between a fan and a follower is that the fan will pay. ka -ching! The fan will pay. He will pay for the concert ticket. He will be the first, the few first to get it even. He will even fly to a foreign country just for the concert. He will pay for merchandise. There is a sacrifice on the part of the fan. The fan will give up something. But the follower? The follower will not give up anything. Because the follower is a free loader. He's there only because there's benefit for him and there's no cause involved, and it does not disrupt his life. And so when push comes to show, and he is challenged to tear down his beliefs, give up something, gets offended by a teaching, the follower will just click, unfollow, and walk away. A follower is a beneficiary of God's benevolent love. And so, let me state this point, important point. Being beneficiaries of God's provision, we learn from this passage, does not ensure that one is in right relationship 
with God. I mean, just take a look at the Israelites who ate manna from heaven. They ate and they died, Jesus said. And we know that they died because they refused to trust the Lord again and again. And so a generation of them died in the desert and never saw the promised land. And so be very careful that just because you are a beneficiary of God's benevolent love, just because you experience an answered prayer from God, do not presume that you and God, you're in good terms. Do not presume that. Do not presume that he has accepted you, that you're in his kingdom. Do not presume. Because look at the crowd. They ate Jesus' barley bread and fish. They were beneficiaries of Jesus' miracle. Miracle! But they walked away from Jesus because they were just after the goodies. They are just after bread, not the bread himself. They walked away too because they were offended by Jesus' words. They could not swallow them. So are you just a follower who's only after the benefits? Are you just a follower who's selective of Jesus' teaching? You know, Jesus has a lot of hard teachings that uh, sometimes pricks on our pride. In this chapter, he claims to be God's son who comes down from heaven. He claims to be our sole need for eternal life through his death. And when you read the Gospel of John, there will be many more hard teachings after this chapter. For instance, he says in uh, chapter 8, you will die in your sins if you do not believe me. How's that statement? Do you accept that? Do you believe that? Jesus says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, but he can set you free. Do you accept that? Do you accept that only he can set you free? Do you accept that until you come to Jesus you, and have him set you free, you are enslaved to sin? Or you say to yourself, nah, I'm the captain of my soul. I am the master of my own fate. Jesus' teachings prick our pride, don't they? And then Jesus has instructions like, love one another as I have loved you. So will you walk away from that because of your difficult spouse or because of a brother or a sister? who gets on your nerves. Jesus has a lot of hard-to-swallow words. Will you walk away? Will you cancel him? Or will you, like Simon Peter, respond and say, we're not going elsewhere? No, we're not. Because you have the words of life, words of eternal life. Let us pray. We give thanks, Father, for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus, who came and spoke many hard teachings. And our prayer is that we will not shy away and walk away from those teachings because Jesus' words, they lead to eternal life. Thank you for the gift of salvation that can only be found in Jesus. And may we respond in obedience 
May we not walk away from Him, but may we cling on to Him, trust Him, obey Him, and follow Him all the rest of our lives. This is our prayer in Jesus' name.